My name is Todd Gibson. I'm currently assigned as the Chief of Police for the Moore Police Department. Uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about my leadership journey, uh, some of my leadership challenges, and what drives me uh, each, and as, each and every day as a person and as, as a leader. Thank you for tuning in to Defining Moments Podcast. This episode is brought to you by CMM Financial Services. At CMM, we know how hard it is to find someone who knows and cares enough to create the tax and wealth plan that you deserve. After walking alongside hundreds of clients for the past 20 years with accounting, bookkeeping, tax strategy, and financial planning, we have created a proven system to help you reach your financial goals. CMM has your complete financial team to reach your financial goals. Book a call at cmmfinancialservices.com. Welcome back to the Undefeated Show Defining Moments podcast. We're located at RK1 Studio. I was going to say the house that Kyle Golding built, but who is this? Randy. Randy Kemp. Randy Kemp, the RK1 Studio. Today's very special guest is the chief of police in the beautiful city of Moore, <laughs> Oklahoma, Cleveland County. Chief Gibson, welcome to the podcast, sir. Thank you for having me out. Absolutely. Before we start, here's our gift to oh, you. Oh, look at that. Yes, sir. I got a mug to find it. I'll, I'll pull out my pocket. <laughs> I brought a, brought a gift for you as well. Oh, so man. it's not as quite as fancy, but it is uh, one of our departmental oh, challenge. This is beautiful. You, so. This is what it's about. I guess we can just go ahead and end the podcast. I got the gift. There it is. Yeah, I've got my mug and my gift, and so this, we're good. This is great. This is really, really good. Thank you for taking the time to come on to our show. Let's start back in your early career because you, you've been in law enforcement for a very long time. I'm on my, my 27th year. Yeah. My wife and I are huge supporters of law enforcement. So are my parents. So thank you for your service to the community and our state. Appreciate it. Thank yeah. You. So let's take us back 27 years. Well, um, to be honest with you, I, I sit here today in front of you um, really uh, being very humbled because it is nothing what I what I intended to do, what I wanted to do as far as a leadership role. Uh, however, policing um, has been a kind of a calling to me my entire life. My mom makes jokes about uh, a second grade project uh, that I did in second grade that she still has today, and she'll show you if you go over to the house. Um, but where I had talked about wanting to be a police officer, and I know that uh, through middle school, through high school, even my friends uh, as, we're, as we're getting out of high school knew that I wanted to be the cop. And so I don't know other than anything specific that drew me other than I don't like bullies and I don't like um, watching people in need. I, I'm, a, I'm a guy that wants just, I really have an innate desire to help other people. And I'm a little bit of an adrenaline junkin, junkie. Mm. So the job has a lot, of, a lot of things that really draw to me. But um, I've always wanted to be a police officer, never wanted to do anything else. Uh, police leadership, on the other hand, is something that um, I never really saw in my future. I can recall a time very vividly um, that I was what we call fendered up, uh, where you sit side by side with, with another officer, and uh, we were in a parking lot, 2 o'clock and 3 o'clock in the morning on night shift, and I remember saying, I never want to leave this shift. This is what I want to do the rest of my life. And of course, you know, uh, oftentimes God's got a different plan for you, so here I am today working my way up through the, through the ranks with a lot of different experiences, mm -hmm. uh, but from a law enforcement leadership standpoint, nothing I've ever strived for is just something that happened. Wow. Wow. You're talking about adrenaline junkie. Have you ever been on a foot chase? 
Because <laughs> I, I, we yeah. want to hear about it. Right. No. Um, so as far as the uh, policing stuff that you see and, and that you that we that we all turn on the TV to watch, um, I, I've, I've pretty much done it all. Car chases, foot chases, fights, uh, uh, get a stigma for biting a naked guy one time. Uh, that's a whole story in of itself. Um, but uh, definitely had times in my career where um, I was completely in fear for my life had times in in my career where I thought okay tonight I'm gonna I'm gonna die and um, I think any cop that's done this job long enough has absolutely had those those experiences to be honest with you as far as like foot chases um honestly probably more than I can even remember yeah uh, car chases more than I can re remember but what happens after you've done it so much and so long um, something will happen you'll hear somebody talking uh, you'll hear a story, you'll see something, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I forgot all about that. Yeah, I did get, I remember chasing that guy, and somehow he got whipped around. He's driving in reverse. I'm driving towards him. He's got this big butcher knife on the steering wheel. And, uh, yeah, I remember that. You know, just little things that recall that yeah. you hadn't thought about in forever uh, and that kind of get mired down with the rest of all the experiences of, of law enforcement. And, and don't get me wrong, it's not every day of, chasing foot chases and car chases right. and fights like that. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot of mundane things and, and paperwork things and processes. But, yeah, I've, I've, if there's something in law enforcement to do, I've probably done it. Yeah. I'm curious about biting a naked guy. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that one. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's a funny story uh, now. Um, <laughs> But um, I'm actually a supervisor at Norman. Uh, I'm actually a captain, so I'm a command-level person. I drive an unmarked car at this point, and um, I'm driving home, actually, at the end of a, end of a shift. And, and they put a call out across the radio of a, a naked person in the middle of the road. And uh, it's kind of funny for most people when I say naked person, people kind of laugh. But um, when law enforcement hears naked person, they think, uh-oh, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. I mean, they think... Uh, something is seriously wrong. That's a for law enforcement to hear that we immediately think that's a very violent situation. Potentially, uh, something's wrong. So where most people give me the the laugh and the oh the naked person ha 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 you see all kinds of things yeah but any cop that hears that they're like oh yeah that's a problem. And so when they put the call out, it's one of those calls that you're like I'm looking to my right and I'm like huh. Well, that's just like right there. I'm like, I'm, I'm here. So being the good, studious cop that I am, I think, well, I should probably do something about that. Even though at that time I'm a captain, I still think I should probably do something about that, right? That's my job is to help things and, and answer calls. So I drive over there. And as I drive over there, they've updated the call that he's now gone into this body shop, this car repair shop, and uh, is causing havoc inside the store. And I pull up to the car uh, body shop and it looks like the place is on fire I mean people are flooding out the front door I mean literally you'd think the ha the building's on fire the way people are running out the out the door it's because this crazy naked guy has run into the building and as I get out of my car they're pointing he's in there he's in there so I walk in uh, to the building still by myself at this point and they they're still pointing towards the back of the business they say he's in the in the body shop area and I walk into the body shop area and I see him naked as a jaybird standing right there. He looks at me, I look at him, and I uh, said, hey, come here. And uh, as soon as I said that, he's running out the door. And so I, I'm running out the door after him. We're, we run through the parking lot. 
uh, he tries to jump into a car, and as he tries to jump into a car, uh, I'm able to get my taser out, and I deploy the taser. Uh, it strikes him, but because of his condition, it has no effect. So we're in between two cars, so we're in this real confined, tight space. After the taser is deployed, he comes out after me, and uh, we're in this fight, and he ultimately ends up grabbing my gun. He's got both hands on my gun. Uh, he's pulled my gun. He's defeated one of the safeties on the holster, and he's pulled it all the way to the front. Uh, my belt is just kind of twisted around my waist, and he's got both hands just pulling on my gun. And I've got one hand. At this point, I'm thinking, well, he's got a better grip on my gun than I can get, so I, my best option here is to keep the gun in the holster, right, or he's going to potentially use it against me. Um, so I've got one hand that I'm pushing down on my gun and on top of his hands and uh, trying to keep the gun in the holster as he continues to pull. And again, we're in between two cars, so we're bouncing back and forth uh, over the cars. Um, he's got some leverage on me, and um, at that point, his chest is kind of slammed into my face. And so uh, the only thing I have right there is just I reach up and I just grab a chunk of flesh out of him with my mouth out of his chest and just bite him as hard as I can. After I bite him, uh, he says, oh, yeah, feels good. Bite me again. And I thought, oh, mercy. That's not what I wanted to hear. You know, so you're kind of your stomach just kind of drops even further than it already is because, you know, you're in a bad spot. You know, you're in trouble. Uh, but whenever he responds that way. It's not what you want, but it was able to give us a little bit of distance. I was able to get him up and over the back of this little, uh, like, Ranger pickup, uh, smaller pickup. And as I have him there, he's still got his hands on my gun, won't let go. I'm still trying to shove my gun down into the holster, and I just start, I have my radio in my, in my hand, and I just start hitting him over the head with my radio. Each time I go on a downward strike, I can see this orange button. Well, these orange buttons on our radios are so that it's a distress button, so mm. if we get into trouble... If we push that, it's going to let her, and we can't talk, but we can push the button. It's going to let everybody know that, hey, there's trouble. And, the, and so the cavalry can come, so to speak. And so on one of these downward strikes, I see that orange button. I think, huh, I've never pushed that, but this seems like a very appropriate time uh, to push that. And so I push my emergency alert button. And of course, when that happens, bells and whistles go off in every car, in the dispatch center. It's sending alerts out to every radio that is picking and receiving that transmission. So, of course, the cavalry is coming. And we continue in this uh, struggle over my gun uh, in between the cars for, for a little bit. And then finally, two muscled-up guys from the body shop, I guess they got tired of looking at it, and they, they come running over there, and the three of us get him into handcuffs. And, and once we get him into handcuffs, then, of course, by that time, other officers are showing up and different things like that. And we get him in the back of a car. Scene's kind of secure, kind of slowing down. And so I open up the back of the car, and I'm like, hey, what is your problem, man? And back to his, oh, yeah, feels good, bite me again, response after being bitten, he looks at me and says, marry me, marry me. Well, it turns out he's just, you know, he's, he's high on drugs. Mm -hmm. he's, just, he's just whacked out of his mind on drugs, and, and that's why he's in the condition that he is. All that being... Um, I say you get a stigma because, you know, no one wants to let me forget that I bit a naked guy, right? Yeah. I still got a chipped tooth on the front here, just a little chip uh, still today from, from that encounter. Uh, but the funniest part about that is my wife is, um, we've been, we got together when I was 19 
And so she's been along this police journey the whole time. And by that time, I'm 16, 17 years into uh, this game, and, and she's a well-conditioned veteran police spouse. Mm. And so I call her, and I said, hey, I got some bumps and bruises. I bit, I bit a guy, and um, he tried to kill me. He tried to take my gun. Uh, so I got to go to the hospital. I got to do an exposure report. I got to get, you know, there's all kinds of stuff you got to do. And, and she, her first words out of her mouth are, well, Kylie's got a reception at school tonight, so you need to hurry up and get home because <laughs> we cannot be late. I told you she, her thing starts at six, so you need to be home. And I was like, no, honey, I'm okay. I'm good. <laughs> no, you just tried to kill me. She's like, well, I can tell that you're okay. So can you just hurry this up? Cause I don't want to miss Kylie's thing. So going back to, uh, we get this conditioning over time and that conditioning spews out to the family as well. Uh, and I thought, okay, yeah, you've been a, I've been a cop too long, but you've been a cop's wife way too long, uh, that you're having that, that kind of response. So that's the, that's the story of biting a naked guy. Yeah. 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 You're obviously a fit man. Right. And I met quite a few of the, uh, more police officers at a coffee shop that had uh, asked a cop a question. I didn't know it was come, going on. Coffee with a cop? Coffee with a cop. Right. And they come walking in, and it was actually really interesting interaction with the patrons at the coffee shop. They felt normal. Everything felt safe. They were just talking to the police officers, and the police officers were engaging the patrons and, and kids, and they were giving away bracelets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so... Good job on that, making yeah. the community feel at peace. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so when you look at what we do in our community engagement, so when I first started in the law enforcement, you know, a police officer gets on the stand, and if a police officer said the car was blue, well, there was no question the car was blue because mm-hmm. the police officer said so. Uh, but as we've evolved through uh, Ferguson, through George Floyd, through all the different trials of, of society and trials of uh, law enforcement, the different things that have occurred, um, it's not that way anymore. Mm-hmm. And so whereas used to, you trusted police because they were the police. Now we have to be intentional about going out and building those relationships. We have to be intentional about building that trust and legitimacy in, in our communities. And so Coffee with the Cop is just one of many things that we do as a police department where we talk about community outreach, community engagement. And some people say, well, that's a waste of taxpayers' dollars. That's a, that's a waste of time. I, I would say that they're um, absolutely and utterly wrong and have no concept of what it takes to be a successful police department. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you can, we can pay the best. Um, we're, we're one of the highest paid agencies in the, in the state. Uh, we have uh, some of the uh, best equipment in the state of Oklahoma. We are on the cutting edge of technology. We have some of the coolest toys. Uh, we're well supported by our community. We're well supported by our city government. All that's great. And we can have a wonderful police department. But if we don't have the trust of our community, we will fail. We won't solve crimes. And so we have to, in 2023 and beyond, really, we have to be intentional about building those relationships. We have to be intentional about breaking down those barriers. Because one thing I have learned is um, we can send people to a homicide school. And I've investigated robberies, kidnappings, homicides. I've investigated it all. And... It's not because of anything that I did that caused me to solve those cases. It was because of relationships. It was because somebody trusted me enough to tell me some information that I needed to know. Mm -hmm. Communities solve crime problems. 
police departments are a resource and an assistance to the community to solve those crimes. But if a community or a neighborhood is waiting on the police department to solve all their crime problems, it's never going to happen. Communities and neighborhoods have to take ownership and have to stand up and partner with the police department in their community to solve crime and neighborhood issues. Yeah. You use two key words there is uh, trust and ownership. And I feel like as modern day society, there's quite a few that lack ownership and there's quite a few that don't trust well. What is, I guess, an important thing that you do to earn the trust of your community besides coffee with a cop and being seen in the community? What else? What else? Well, you know, and, and that's interesting because in, in general, you hear people talk a lot about how either they don't like the police or they don't trust the police, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you'll hear them qualify that with, um, well, I, I like my police officer, you know, uh, but I don't like the police. I, I, I trust my police officer, but I don't trust the police. And so it goes back to they, there, there's a societal thing that they don't trust the police, this entity of government, but everybody knows a police officer that they like or that they trust, and they never want to include their police officer. Well, their police officer is just a reflection of every other police officer in the community. And we have uh, great men and women at the police department uh, that really, in 2023, and this is what really, I, I brag on this every chance I can, when you see a young police officer today, you think about all that this career field's been through in the last five to 10 years. All that we've been through and the, the rhetoric, sometimes lies that have been spread about this career field in the last five or 10 years. The, um, the, the discrediting of the career field and the villainizing of this career field. And you have 20-somethings still raising their hands. Those 20-somethings today, they're doing that because they truly have a heart of service. Mm -hmm. Never before in the history of law enforcement have we had more young men, young women that volunteer to put themselves in harm's way because of a true heart of service than we do today. Wow. And so I'm in honor and in awe of the young men and women that get into this career field today because they're doing it knowing what we've been through and yeah. watching and growing up through it. And so when we talk about not only coffee with a cop, we, we do things like uh, National Night Out. It's a big event and more. We do it at the Warren Movie Theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll feel, it, it's almost like a whole circus carnival environment, uh, yeah. but it's sponsored uh, by the police department and other stakeholders in the community just so that we can have community engagement, community interaction, and that sense of community as a whole. But then we do uh, burgers and badges. Burgers and Badges is a great event. Uh, we've often uh, partnered with the Sharing Tree, which is a, a local nonprofit that works with the Women's Resource Center and works with those uh, in a disadvantaged position to help them get up and on their feet and get the resources that they need. Does a lot of work with kids. But Burgers and Badges will set up in their parking lot. We try to pick an area that's a challenged area mm-hmm. that we maybe have a lot of negative police interaction, i.e. a lot of crime in. So we'll go to one of our higher crime areas. We'll set up um, tents. We'll have some churches come in. The police department's there. Men of Moore uh, come out. Um, all kinds of uh, sponsors come and help support us with this event. 
and we try to make it within walking distance of some of our more challenged areas. And what we do is we cook burgers and have a cookout with them and let them see our stuff and just interact with kids, interact with the parents of those kids, interact with um, some of the members of our community that maybe don't see us always in a positive light, or more importantly, interact with these kids that are, are have a lot of life challenges that maybe didn't grow up with some of the privileges of my children. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe the last time they saw a police officers when the police officer came and took the boyfriend to jail for beating their mom or took their dad to jail for something or took their brother to jail for something. And so maybe they uh, might have a, a little bit of a trepidation, a fear or distrust for police. And we go and we try to build those relationships and be very forward thinking in how we can reach out to to those kids mm-hmm. uh, to build that relationship. Yeah, that's awesome. You were the captain of the Norman Police Department. Mm-hmm the sheriff of Cleveland County. Yes. And now you are the chief of the Moore Police Department. So you are the captain of Cleveland County. (laughs) What are some of your defining moments in your life that have led you to where you are today? Um, So to me, there's been several what I would call leadership challenges that have kind of developed. And and again, I never had a, a big, strong passion. Obviously, I had some desire because I put in for the positions, right? Uh, But it wasn't a driver in my life. Um, What was a driver in my life was to lead people and to make an impact and change people's lives for the good. And I always saw that I can make organizations better. I can make people's lives better with the different status positions. So I could care less about the title what I enjoy about this position is the ability to make positive impacts and in my my ability my span of influence or my circle of influence grows with each rank or each position uh, that we have for me what we look at is defining moments um, obviously some of those defining moments are, are, are experience leadership failures and being uh, working for for bad leaders mm-hmm. and saying hey I, I don't this is not right I don't want to do this uh, but for me you know as a as a detective, as a young detective supervisor, seeing and, and, and we had had a really controversial officer-involved shooting down in Norman, and uh, it really split the department, and, and it kind of split uh, the community somewhat, this, this officer-involved shooting did. And then <clears throat> right towards, in, in the midst of that, we have another officer-involved shooting of a subject that um, was armed with a knife, and when we located him, we did not find a knife on him after we shot so again, another potentially controversial shooting. And uh, I was a, a detective supervisor at that point in time, and I saw that as an opportunity to say, to, to invoke positive leadership. And so when you look at kind of my strategy of why have I seen success as a leader? Why have I seen success in people wanting to follow me? It's because um, it's about pop being positive. It's mm-hmm. about providing hope. And that was kind of one of the first moments where I saw myself in a position as a leader to influence others, to stay positive, to uh, latch on to hope, to, to walk into a situation and, and provide that hope. And mm-hmm. what that hope is, is that hope is we're going to be okay. Yeah. We're going to be okay. And, you know, that, that moved on. And there's several incidents through my leadership career where, um, 
I've seen the ability to walk in with a calming uh, demeanor, a positive attitude, and a message of providing hope that everything's going to be okay and we'll get through this. Because even cops, even cops during some of those critical incidents and those difficult times need that. I uh, had an opportunity to go as a, as a division commander of the Norman Police Department up into Moore on May 20th, 2013. Myself and my now deputy chief, Blake Green, uh, responded up there uh, as com- a command element of a Norman detachment up in Moore. And yet again, another opportunity of mass chaos, terrible destruction, loss of kids, uh, really impactful for the community. But we were able to go up there and inject some positive leadership and hope to calm the situation down. And, and I can go on and on with different series like that. We, mm-hmm. we had a, a deputy uh, when I was the sheriff who committed suicide and had a lot of friends. It was very uh, difficult for the organization. It was difficult for his friends. Leading through those adversities are times that I've had success most as a leader where I felt like I had the most opportunity to make that positive impact. And it basically boils down to uh, projecting calm and hope into uh, a situation. Even even a situation as recently as uh, Friday night, we had an officer-involved shooting, uh, four police officers involved in in an incident where a gentleman lost his life uh, after uh, attacking one of our police officers with a knife. And at 2.30 in the morning on a Friday night, Saturday morning, I'm getting up and I'm going to put on a uniform and I'm going to show up. And my job is not to investigate this anymore. That's not, my, that's not my role in the police department. My role in the police department at this point is to show up and provide that hope that, hey, we're going to be fine. It's a bad situation. It's a chaotic situation. We're going to do our job and we're going to focus on what we need to focus on. And we'll get through this, mm-hmm. providing that hope. And then the secondary thing is, you know, adrenaline is high. Uh, we want to make sure that uh, officer-involved shooting is a very complex situation. We want to make sure that we're covering every angle that we can cover, that we're being as transparent as we can be, that we're being as uh, thoughtful not only to the victim or to the to the suspect as, as we can be, but also being thoughtful towards the, the actions of these officers that had to do something that they didn't want to do. And sometimes that takes that calming leader to step in and say, you're professionals, you know what you need to do, now let's go, go forward and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's where I, again, that's where I have um, seen uh, leading through different adversities. Uh, those are some of those defining moments. I find that the critical incidents, the more intense the situation, uh, is where I define myself as, as a leader. 85 percent of the time, leadership is very difficult because it's very uh, mundane. It's very day to day. It's very there's not a lot of things that I can do as as chief other than the encouraging talks, the positive uh, touches on mm-hmm. on on staff, and making sure we have a good philosophy, a good direction to go as an organization. But in those times of crisis, that that fifteen percent of the time, 20 percent of the time that there's a major crisis going on, uh, I feel like that's where I've always been able to excel uh, because of that positive, uh, calming injection of hope into a yeah. situation. Yeah. It's almost like you've got a solid, strong mindset through all the experiences you've witnessed to kind of help you mold to where you are. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Has there been a point in your career that you wanted to just quit, say, I'm not going to be a police officer anymore? 100%. Yeah? Yeah, 100%. Uh, so the job is, um, will have, it'll take its toll on you. It'll take its toll on your family. Uh, every police officer has done this job for any significant amount of time, uh, has psychological scars. And those scars sometimes get, get scraped off or ripped off, and it's just it's terrible when they do. Uh, sometimes those scars get so deep that they become invasive, and uh, you're, they, they affect your sleep, they affect your psyche, they affect your day-to-day uh, life. And, and we have a lot of resources for that today that we didn't have 20 years ago or 25 years ago. But for me, I can specifically recall at about the seven, eight-year mark, um, I'd been on night shift. I'd been through some critical incidents. Um, I, I've got young children. Um, I've got a young family. And I just had gotten to the point that I, I was tired of people. I had kind of lost, um, lost faith in, in humanity, faith in mankind to do the right thing or, or to be positive. My wife, uh, she is much smarter than me and uh, much... Uh, much better than I am. And she would always tell me, hey, you know that like 90, 95% of the people in the world are good. It's just you're constantly surrounded by the, the bad ones. And, and I had that flipped in my head. I would, mm. I would have told you that 90 to 95% of the people in the world are bad and there's only a few that are good. But she always would drive that home and she was always good about uh, challenging my negative perspective with, with a more positive perspective and, and keeping me... Uh, uh, dialed in, but there was absolutely a time that I was applying for other jobs outside of law enforcement. And for whatever reason, uh, God's got a plan and it, it didn't work out that way. I didn't get any of those jobs. And looking back on it, it's because I know that God had a plan for me and that wasn't part of his plan. Sometimes what I've learned in my life is that for me, I'm a, I'm a very spiritual person. So when I have uh, troubles or I have uh, things going on in my life that I need to address. I do that uh, not only with the counsel of my wife, but with the counsel of my God and, and, and my relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that my faith plays a strong role in my decision-making, plays a strong role in who I am. And in, in times in my position, People might want me to shy away from that. People might want me to um, not be as vocal about that. But if you're, hey, I'm on a podcast, you're asking what drives me, and, and that's what drives me. And so going back to, yes, there's absolutely a time that I was, I had lost that faith in humanity. And that losing that faith in humanity actually was hurting my, not only my relationships with, with family, uh, but it was hurting my relationship with, with Christ. And, um, but I, those opportunities didn't work out. And obviously, um, obviously God had a different plan. And then fast forward to um, hitting year 20, year 21. I'm at Norman Police Department. Um, and so that's really not that long ago, 20, 2016, 2017. Um, 2016, May, April. May or April of 2016, um, I, I was under some toxic leadership at Norman. Uh, Norman has uh, is a challenging community to be a police officer in, and challenging community to be a police leader in. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Um, but I, I had I was working for some toxic leadership, uh, and it was miserable. And my wife 
be recognized. Hey, it's miserable. You can you can draw your pension. You can retire. Uh, this is you don't you can't do this another five years. And and she said life is too short. You know, uh, she referenced the Bible. Life is a vapor. It's here for a moment and then it's mm-hmm. gone. And and life is too short to live miserably or to be driven by um, some pennies on a uh, pension check that you might get one day. Because I, I said, well, if I pull now, I'm potentially leaving some money on the table with my retirement. And she says, well, will you be around next year to spend your retirement? I said, well, I hope I am. She goes, can you guarantee that you'll be alive this time next year to spend your pension? I said, no, I can't guarantee that. You know that? She goes, well, then don't make your decision based off money. Make mm-hmm. your decision based off life satisfaction and your family because the money will take care of itself. And so I actually retired from Norman Police Department uh, thinking that that was the end of my law enforcement career, funny as it may be. And I went to work for Cleveland County. Um, At the police department, I had had opportunities to lead several projects, one of those projects being the the redoing of the uh, Norman Investigation Center. It was a pretty large uh, construction project. And one thing City Norman is good at is preparing you for success. And so I was able to become a, a certified project manager during that time. And um, I took a job at Clayton County being a project manager for some of their uh, CDB, CDBG grants and some other things that they had, had working that I had experience with from working at the police department. And that is when the previous, the sheriff previous to me started getting this big controversy, ends up leaving. And I said, Again, another God thing. You know, God had a plan that he saw some saw a need before I even knew it was there. And I'm tailor-made to fix these problems at mm-hmm. Cleveland County Sheriff's Office. My whole career, I, I transferred from division to division because there was a problem. I can tell you story after story about where detective division had a problem. So they send, send me over there as a, inject me into some leadership role over there to fix the problem. Or I go to this division to fix this division's problems. Um, I've always fixed problems as a leader. And so when I saw this position, uh, the, the interim sheriff position open up, I, I told them, I said, hey, I, I want to I put in for this. And two of the county commissioners at the time said, hey, well, we, we don't want you to put in for that because we need you doing the job you're doing. And I basically struck a deal with them that says, hey, let me put in. If I'm not the most qualified applicant, if I don't have the best resume, the best pedigree to fix your problem, then choose somebody else. You won't hurt my feelings. I'll be happy doing this. Uh, but then I saw the list of names that put in for the interim sheriff position. I was like, mm, I got this one because like, I've got this one. I've got a, uh, Norman was good about developing leaders. They're good about developing you as a, in, in your leadership role. Um, and so my resume, I would put it against anybody. And that's not a brag. It's just because I was afforded opportunities to go to different uh, educational things throughout my career that look good on a piece of paper for that job. So I get the interim sheriff position and end up running for sheriff and become the duly elected sheriff of Cleveland County. Uh, for me, one of the most satisfying parts of that was the jail. And the jail is something no one likes to talk about. You know, you look up here at Oklahoma County Jail, you look at uh, even Cleveland County Jail as of late, um, it comes with a lot of headaches. But Going back to my drive to impact people, right? I I felt like that was just such a, uh, a a ground of opportunity to really touch people 
that needed to be touched. I enjoyed what we did when I was the sheriff, mostly at the jail, because I really feel like that we were touching individuals' lives that were changing generations of families because of the positive things we were doing and bringing into the jail at the time. But then opportunity arises. My wife uh, graduated Moore High School. Uh, We have lived in Moore, uh, unlike you. We've lived in Moore uh, since 2006. Uh, So even when I was at the Norman Police Department, I still lived in Moore. Uh, uh, Again, going back to a God thing, right? Because I didn't want to move to Moore, but that was where we found the best uh, Mm -hmm. best deal on the lot, best deal on the house. And uh, so we ended up moving to Moore in 2006. And I had always said, the only place I would ever leave... Um, the sheriff's office for is for the chief job at Moore. Uh, there's two chief jobs in the state of Oklahoma that I kind of proudly say, and, I, and, and with a relative bit of confidence, say that are the most coveted chief jobs in the state, and that would be Edmond and Moore. It's not Oklahoma City and Tulsa. Those guys, uh, Chief Corley, Chief Franklin, um, they have a huge headache. I mean, they're they're dealing with enormous headaches, just not only politically but uh, socially and criminally and and, and other things. Uh, Moore has strong support, strong community leadership, and um, great group of police officers. And so, I always said if that opportunity arose, I would I would go for that job, and it did. Surprisingly enough, unexpectedly, actually, very unexpectedly. Uh, opened up and I figured that um, they more usually keeps a chief 12 to 15 years and so I knew that whoever got this next chief job they they weren't my opportunity to do that job would would Mm -hmm. be forever gone and so I I put in for it and here I am (laughs) so my parents still live in more oh bless their heart yes they they live in the I, I'm a fan of Moore. Lived in there for I know. Yeah, I just like giving you a hard time. I know. I love it. Um, and I'll be honest. When my wife and I were thinking about moving to Norman, we saw what I believe a fracture in leadership. And what I mean by that is the way I look at leadership is you've got your mayor, you've got your city council, you've got your emergency services, and I feel like they all need to be in tandem on the same page with support so they can function as a, as a whole because your community depends on that. And at that time, there was what I, I'll be honest, I saw a fraction from the mayor to the city council, which was super divided, to the community, which was super divided because of that leadership. So thank you for coming to Moore, Oklahoma yeah. and being the chief. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. How do you deal with negativity personally? Uh. Um, like personally against me, mm-hmm. um, everybody has an ego and, um, you, you hear people say, well, I don't care what they think about me. I don't care. You say what you want. I don't care what you think about me, but you know, that's a lie. Mm-hmm. If you're a human, if you are breathing at some level, you care what people think about you. And, and I have learned that people that say, I don't care what people think about me. I think you're lying because deep down, everyone cares. And so negativity is tough and leadership, uh, leadership is a roller coaster of highs and lows. You make one decision and, and you're getting the negativity 
and you make another decision and everybody loves you. You're on top of the world, right? Oh, it's the best leader. Love working for that guy. Next day, he's an idiot. Can you believe he made that decision? I can't stand him. He's going to yeah. ruin this whole police department, you know? Um, but what I have come to know is that anytime you're in a leadership position, it's, it's difficult. And anytime you're in a leadership position, you are going to have to make tough decisions that some people don't like. And as long as your integrity is intact, as long as your heart is pure in your decision, and, and when I say your heart is pure in your decision, in your heart of hearts, you really believe that decision you're making is in the best interest of people and of the people that it affects, um, then, then you can take that negativity and just work through it and, and ride through it. I relate my leadership. I also relate a lot to my kids, hmm. right? My kids, I got four kids. There are times that, that they have not liked dad's decision, right? But in my heart of hearts, I have never, ever made a decision about my children that I thought would hurt them. Any decision I made, it's because I loved them and I wanted good for them. Mm -hmm. and, I'm, and I try to take that same approach with, with people that, that I work with, that people that, are, that uh, I have charge over. That is what, is, what is in your best interest? What, how do I show love to you? And how do I fight for your highest good? Yeah. And the decision I'm going to make, whether you feel it now or not, is a decision that in my heart of hearts, I think is in your highest good. And sometimes mm -hmm. that's contrary to what you want in the moment. Yeah. Uh, but understanding that where my heart is in making those tough decisions helps me deflect the negativity. Um, there's also an Abraham Lincoln quote uh, that I carry with me. Uh, I could get it out and read it to you if you wanted me to, but it, yeah. it, it, um, it actually helps, it. helps me because I think that you know leadership uh, from... Leadership from as long as you can remember has dealt with criticism, has dealt with um, these challenges where maybe people don't understand or people don't uh, like what they have to say. But leadership, including people like George Washington, like Abraham Lincoln, have come to say, hey, if you're going to be a leader and you're going to do things and, and make changes in life, then then it's not going to be easy all the time. And mm -hmm. you're going to make decisions and do things that, that are going to make people upset and going to make people upset with you. And sometimes that's the burden and the challenge of leadership. And so Abraham Lincoln writes in this uh, segment that I, that I have that I often refer back to. It says, The man who is anybody and who does anything is certainly going to be criticized, villainized, and misunderstood. This is a part of the penalty for greatness. And every great man understands it. And understands, too, that it is not proof of greatness. The final proof of greatness lies in being able to endure insult without resentment. Mm. So to do anything, you're going to wow. get criticized. Yeah. And... The root, true challenge of, of greatness is not doing things. The true challenge of greatness is being villainized and criticized and endure that wow. ridicule without becoming resentful. That's pretty deep.
That's really good. It's a deep world of leadership. Yeah, that's, I, yeah that's, that's true. Speaking of leadership, what would you, what kind of advice would you give your 18 year old self? Hmm. My 18 year old self would be, um, quit caring what, so much what people think about you and do the right thing. Um, mm. The world is full of people that um, want to be led. They want direction. Even people that say they don't like the rules, they don't like uh, these leaders telling them what to do. Um, what I have found is society needs strong leaders. And to step out, take a chance, and when you see and know the right thing to do, do it. Love it. Love it. What are a couple of questions you wish people would ask you, but no one ever ask? Oh, that's a challenging one. A couple of questions I wish people would ask me, but no one ever asks. Hmm. I really can't think of any off the top of my head, to be honest with you. Let me think. I don't know. Maybe if I was wanting to be educational, I would say, ask me, what is the key to life? <laughs> what is the key to life? Uh, get outside yourself and help other people. Mm, that's good. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. So I go back to Viktor Frankl, right? Uh, and Viktor Frankl, who survived concentration camps, who survived... Um, all kinds of atrocities, lost his whole family, lost his wife, uh, still chose his own attitude, mm. right? Still could be positive. And he uh, reflects in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, um, that those that were the most successful in the concentration camps were not focused on themselves, but focused on others around them. And I don't know about you, but I've had some challenges in my life, but nothing like living through a concentration camp, nothing like losing my whole family. And, and if, if he can make a choice to choose an attitude to be positive, an attitude of gratitude, mm -hmm. then so can I. Love it. And so part of that goes back to um, whether we're talking about our, our, my spiritual walk with Christ and what, what, does, what does my God tell me I need to be doing through the Bible, uh, but also just human experiences of like Viktor Frankl. Everything points to get outside yourself. Help other people. And when you help other people, uh, in whatever form or fashion, there is not only a psychological but mm -hmm. an actual physiological uh, reaction that occurs in you and you're a healthier person, you're a happier yeah. person. Yeah. What are you most proud of? Mm. Most proud of my family. Yeah. Um, just like anyone else. Uh, I don't, material things don't mean much to me, uh, but my wife is my rock. She's a, a brilliant person, and I'm so lucky to have her. I have four kids that uh, are amazing, uh, and even though my oldest is married to a fireman, he's a good guy too. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of a sick joke, but God, <laughs> God likes to play tricks on me too. He had my daughter marry a fireman. Um, but my, my kids, um, they're entering their young adult years, I have one that's in medical school, uh, one that's wow. in the air force. And then I have one that's a senior in high school and, and then a sophomore in high school as well. But I can see in this experiment of parenting, uh, I think they're going to be okay. I think they're going to yeah. be, I think they're going to help other people. 
and um, I think they're going to make a positive impact on on society. In which, if I can do anything, if you can do anything, if if people want to change the world, they can they can start by changing themselves, and then they can. And one of the most important things I can do is raise good, productive people. Love it. You and your wife are great leaders. Oh, well done. You. Thank you. Last question. All right. How do you want to be remembered? Ah, as a uh, strong Christian man that helped other people. Mm. That's good. That's good. I'm extremely honored and proud of what you do for all of Cleveland County, more police department in the community, and I, I feel like the Norman Police Department is awesome as well. And so thank you so much for your time. Yeah. And just I'm grateful for you. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. For more Defining Moments podcast content, visit our webpage, www.undefeated.show. Follow us at Def Moments Pod on Twitter and at Defining Moments Podcast on Instagram.